Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best dungeon masters on this plane of existence. Before we get started, I need to thank my patrons, Robert, Matthew, Brenda, Garrett, Jeff, Paul, Tavernot, Carol, Fernando, Justin, Matt, and Robert. Thank you so much. You helped make this show possible. If you'd like to support the show, want a shout out on my next episode, or want an inside scoop on my upcoming guests, consider joining. You can find the link in my episode notes, my link tree, or by heading to patreon.com hn, the number 2, DM. And remember that 10% of my ad and patron money goes to support local LGBTQ plus youth via Encircle. Check out my link tree for more information. And now onto this episode's guest announcement. Matt is the host of Role Play Chat, a TTRPG podcast which covers different topics on each episode and lately has been featuring guests from around the industry to chat about them. I was on Matt's show a few weeks ago where we chatted about social encounters, which was a lot of fun. And I think we had some great ideas for people to try out. So go listen to that once you're done here. Go ahead. I'll wait for you to cue it. Okay. And now hear from him about his own DMing philosophies and more. Enjoy. Perfect. Well, I'm, I'm Matt. I've been playing Dungeons and & Dragons and Fate Core. Those are my two bread-and-butter role-playing games. been playing them for about 12 years now. So I, I got introduced to the hobby in university. I studied math and stats. We had a undergrad game lounge, or it was a lounge, but it was really a game lounge. Like That's where we played you know, Friday nights, Thursday nights, after a late lecture, we would just gather in the math undergrad study room and, you know, play board games. And one day, a close friend of mine pulled out a 4.5 player's handbook. And we just swarmed to that thing like flies. We were like, what's that? Let's try that. Let's play. And, you know, the next day we all, we went and all had our own copies of the book, sat down, played <laughs> and we were all terrible at it. You know, we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't understand what role-playing was. We had like pennies for our minis and we had, uh, we used the chalkboard in the student lounge as like to draw maps and stuff. It was fun. It was a simpler time, <laughs> if, if you will. But uh, yeah, and, and then ever since, you know, the rest has been history. Uh, I was a player for about two years before I started game mastering. And I just found it, to be unlike any other hobby I've ever done. You know, this ability yeah. to create uh, something and create it collectively with your friends around a table, just riff off ideas and like share your creativity in such a, a such a constructive and honest and open way. There's nothing like it. Like I, I've never experienced anything similar to that. And it's just so much fun, like genuinely so much fun. So I game mastered, cut my teeth on 4.5. And since then I've, I've game mastered fifth editions, a little bit of Pathfinder, a little bit of Warhammer fantasy roleplay, a mm. little bit of Blades in the Dark, which is a lot of fun. It's uh, powered by the Apocalypse game. 
but you know, I always kind of circle back to D and D. It's 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 the one that everybody knows. It's the one that's the simplest to run, and it's the one that seems to get new players interested as well. And yeah, that's that's kind of my my hobby nerd story, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love the way you described how D&D really hooked you in because that experience is very similar to mine, like realizing the potential of this thing that, that we were doing and realizing how much fun you could have with letting your imagination go wild. Yeah, I related a lot to that. Also loved the chalkboard and penny story. We were playing at lunch at my company as kind of like my first introduction to the game and we had a whiteboard you know and we had like little pieces on the on the whiteboard and that was our map so it's same same kind of thing yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's funny how you graduate from like rookie nerd to now you know we're playing on like roll 20 with like maps that move in the background (laughs) or like having ambient music playing you know you you really you graduate from from the chalkboard or the whiteboard to terrain or one of my buddies has a TV like that he he made himself he's a great woodworker he built himself a, a wood table and he like propped up an old flat screen TV inside it it's real cool <laughs> yeah my one of my players is working on one of those himself uh, he he DMs from time to time too so one of these days he'll get it done and, and we'll play on that thing that'll be fun cool, cool. so you mentioned you've run a lot of different kinds of games do you remember your first experience running a game do you remember what the game was who was there or not necessarily who was there but what the game was kind of the story you were trying to run and how it went for you yeah 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 i do and it's a very vivid memory that i don't think i'm ever gonna i'm ever gonna forget the the first you time know, i tried i don't mean to cut you off but it's funny you say that but like a lot of people i've talked to don't remember really <laughs> so hopefully yeah like <laughs> well I feel like the people who don't remember their first time they played was like the 70s or 80s. I see. So okay. I suppose we can we can give them a pass for 35 or 40 years ago. But anyway, pretty. I fun. mean, maybe their first their first time game mastering was a lot better than mine because the reason <laughs> I remember it was because it was a dumpster fire. Like it was oh, so yeah. it was so bad. <laughs> and I I was running for my girlfriend, her Hell sister, yeah. and a buddy of mine. Uh-huh. And I mean, she's now married to me, so it couldn't have been that bad of a game. You know, it's <laughs> it, it worked out. But uh, all I remember was I had it, it was some prefab adventure that I found for D&D 4.5. Yeah. And it started off with this encounter. It was supposed to be this quick and easy encounter where the party is walking towards the town gate and they get ambushed by a pack of wolves. That was like it's supposed to be super straightforward. But it just didn't work out. Like, it, you know, it was supposed to be rainy. There was like, the terrain was difficult terrain. And 4.5 is, no, sorry, not 4.5. 4th edition is notorious for for being just like a slog fest. You know, like combat takes too long. It was a relatively complicated system for new people. Uh-huh. You know, we were lots all new. Lots of abilities. Yeah, yeah, lots of abilities, stuff like that. So anyway, so the combat just went forever. I, I think... What was supposed to be a 20 minute fight lasted three hours. I remember my, you know, the whole party was just bogged down in the difficult terrain. They couldn't move. The wolves were attacking them and just kept every, everybody kept missing. And I remember 
the reason I remember so vividly was that my players were so discouraged. They were like, I don't think we ever want to do this again. <laughs> oh, no. And, you know, that's not something you want to hear as a first-time game no. master. And no. I was like, you know, stick with it. You know, I, 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 and I really learned a lot from that because I was playing that game so by the book. You know, I wasn't fudging any dice. Every time that they missed, they missed. Every time that, that the, you know, the wolves could have maybe ran, run away. They didn't. They stayed there and they kept fighting and it just kept on going. And I didn't really do anything in my power as a game master to like make the game fun, which is kind of mm -hmm. what we're supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, that was, that was it. So three hours of fighting wolves in the rain and I convinced them to play again. It turned out better, but that was my first time running. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember mine pretty vividly too. It wasn't so bad. It was very memorable for different mistake reasons. Anyway, that leads us very well into the next question, which is, yeah, Matt, what, what are some of the mistakes you've made as a DM and as a GM system agnostic? You know, it could be early days, could be up to last week. Yeah, and, and what are some things you feel like people could learn from these mistakes you've made? Yeah, I mean, I think anybody who says they don't make mistakes would be lying. I, I think we have to make mistakes. Or at least if we want to become better game masters, we need to push ourselves out of our comfort zone and try new things. And ultimately, they're not all going to stick. They're not all going to land. Uh, so I think one thing we should do as game masters is make mistakes. That's, that's maybe a lesson that I think everyone should learn. Don't be afraid to make them. Yeah. But specific mistakes... You know, there's a few moments in my mind that, that stick close. That first game really stuck with me. That was where I told myself that, you know what? Fudging dice is okay. And maybe people are going to come at you on Twitter for that. But I think fudging dice... <laughs> at roleplay chat. Don't, don't talk to me. Talk to him. <laughs> yeah, come at me. Let's go. I'm ready. They're fighting words, I know. But yeah, fudging dice to me, that was when I told myself, you know what? It's okay for me to make an attack hit when it shouldn't or make make an enemy take more damage than they should just to kind of put everybody through this and finish off for the sake of enjoyment. Another moment in my my mind that, that stuck around for a pretty long time, and it, it's not too old, actually. It's probably about a year or two years old. And it was the time that I, I run a, a pirate campaign. That's kind of the current campaign that I'm running right now. And it's in the Fate Core system. Love pirates. Uh, pirates are awesome. It, it's very like Pirates of the Caribbean meets Avatar, like Avatar: The Last Sweet. Airbender. You know, it's it's a really you know it's it's funny, but there's some serious moments, and we got a cool pirate ship, and there's all these islands with all these cool factions and stuff. And anyway, it was probably the second or third game in that campaign where one of the NPCs died. One of the relatively important NPCs died in a fight, and the thing I was focusing on at that time was pacing. I really wanted the pace of my game to have kind of like a reverse bell curve kind of feel to it, where you start off high tension, you got some downtime in the middle, and then you end on a cliffhanger. That was like my mm -hmm. objective. And in an effort to maintain that pace, I kind of pushed through the death of this character very quickly. I was like, let's move on. Like, let's go on to the next thing. And I directed the game towards the you know one of the cliffhangers that i had prepared ahead of time 
And when I looked back at that, I thought that was a terrible mistake because my players wanted to grieve the death of this character. They wanted to role play together. They wanted to have a little ceremony for this character. And I kind of didn't let them have that. And I know people listening are like, Matt, you're a terrible GM. Like, how could you not let them have that? But, you know, I was so <laughs> fixated on this, this idea of giving them, delivering on this, this high climactic moment at the end, a kind of cliffhanger moment at the end, rather, that I got blindsided by it. And then ever since that happened, I was like, you know what? I'm never going to do that again. If my players are invested in the world that I'm presenting to them, I'm going to give them all the space they want and need to do that. So that was kind of the lesson that I think a lot of game masters, hopefully you've learned it already, but if you haven't, you know, never expedite when your players are really entrenched in it and they're really, you know, they're letting their feelings out and they're letting their role play moments happen. That is like the beauty of the game and you should let them have it. Yeah. This reminds me of an episode of Dragon Talk I was just listening to with Matt Colville, where he talked about an experience with a brand new player who was interrogating someone. And then the another player came up and just like stabbed the person he was interrogating before he was done. And it, I mean, it was the player, not the DM that did this, but it's the same kind of concept where you gotta, you gotta let people like get the fun out of the game that they are expecting and you don't ever want to take away someone else's fun. And grieving doesn't sound fun, but like, you know, it's part of the role-playing game that you're playing, you know? Like, there's going to be death, and there's going to be death of people they care about, even if they're not real. And it's something to to let them take some time to enjoy or to to experience. That's a better way to say it. Yeah. yeah so, absolutely. yeah, great advice, though. Thanks for sharing that. On the flip side, do you have any instances of really fun or memorable times from your game? Could be role play, combat, improvisation, stuff that really sticks out in your mind that was really epic or fun or memorable. Yeah, absolutely. I so maybe I'll caveat this by saying my my games are always role play heavy. My players have a tendency to really enjoy that. I have a tendency to really enjoy that. I love using little stupid voices for my characters and I love it. I know, you know, having conversations between, you know, watching conversations unfold between characters as they unravel plots and things like this. That's not to say that we don't have combat or we don't have, you know, investigation or intrigue, but uh, roleplay tends to be the focus. And some of my best memories are when my players roleplay together. You know, like I'm not even mm. involved. They just they realize something. They realize like, there was one moment when their captain was inviting them to this pirate council. It was like this big pirate council. And he was saying, you know, I need somebody to come and speak on my behalf to the pirate council. And there was this whole discussion between the characters, between the players, to kind of decide who would be the best suited to go and have that conversation. And this, they just sat there for about half an hour, the three of them, or there was, you know, there was, there was four players, but one of them wasn't there. So the three of them were discussing and, and debating in character who would be the best suited. And it's funny because the one that they ended up choosing was the person who I would have never expected them to pick who's you know he was secretly a, he's like a son of an imperial man who's the the enemy of these pirates you know like so to send him into the dragon's den and just get roasted was uh, anyway i would have never expected it so, so it really stuck in my memory and you know this amazing scene between my players and then they 
pick this outcome that I could have never predicted. And now we got to roll with it. And, and then I had to react to that as being like the members of this pirate council. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I love a good council where you get to do all of the silly voices, like you said. <laughs> so when you were learning how to run games and even now, who are some of the people that you really look to for advice or maybe people you try to emulate their style in running games? Could be people that, that are well-known, could be people that are personal to you. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. And I I actually I don't know if there's anybody. Yeah. That's going to sound like a like a cop-out answer, but you know, a lot of my games as far as inspiration go, I tend to seek inspiration from a lot of media. I like a lot of media that is very soft in its world-building. Especially when I'm looking for inspiration for my games. And when I talk about soft world-building, I mean not The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it's like the opposite of The Lord of the Rings, you know? The, You're not writing volumes before you even decide to start playing. Exactly. So, so you know, I'm, I'm if I if I want a spark of in, inspiration, maybe I'll watch like a Studio Ghibli movie, or mm. I, I find the Avatar, the Last Airbender. That was something that was very, for me, very inspirational as like this world with these different factions, but it's not super well understood how they use their you know their quote unquote bending or magic. I, I really like that when a world has enough flexibility for the players to kind of breathe its their own life into it. And I know some people like the opposite. Like some people like having systems that are very concrete and having like, you know, they're tracking their economies and they're tracking the climates and they're tracking the calendar and stuff like that. But I find that hard to be inspired and hard to kind of mold into what you want it to be. Uh, I think it'll also depend a lot on the game the type of game I'm running, some systems bode much better with like a very heroic soft world like Dungeons and Dragons. Now, this is a game that, again, people might come at me on Twitter to say, for saying this, but it's, you know, it's a heroic combat simulator is kind of what, what it is with role play, obviously. Whereas a game like Fate is a lot more focused on story. It's a lot more focused on characters. A game like Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay is a grim, dark, gritty game. So depending mm -hmm. on what kind of system I'm running, I'm going to seek inspiration in that genre. Not, not to labor the point, but I, I find there's a lot of really good Japanese horror. So if people are looking for inspiration to run a grim, dark game, Maybe they're playing some Elden Ring right now and they're like addicted to this like death everywhere and their character is always struggling to win. There's uh, Jinjo Ito is a fantastic Japanese manga artist who makes like all these crazy horrific mangas that I find very inspirational. Again, they're very soft in their world building, but very grotesque and like really sticks in your brain and you can look at one panel in his manga and be like, man, I could write a whole campaign about this monster that he drew on this one page. <laughs> cool, um, cool. But yeah, yeah. Do you run horror games, Derek? Is that something that you've ever run? You know, I have done, it was kind of like a horror story arc in my current game. This pulls heavily from the Dungeon Dudes, your Canadian brethren up there. I'm not sure if you've <laughs> ever heard of them. 
they they have a, a stream in a in a podcast called the Dungeons of Drakenheim. And cool. basically it's a story about this meteor that hits the city and obliterates it. And the meteor is made out of all these pieces of crystal that are like chaotic evil magic that people use to bend to their will or and it creates a bunch of monsters and stuff. And I basically was like, that's awesome. I'm gonna drop a meteor on one of my players' hometowns and they're gonna have to go save it. But yeah, a lot of like weird, grotesque monsters. And the closer you got to the meteor, the harder it was to see there was this haze. And so it was like really spooky. And the closer you got, the more reality was kind of shifting around you. Cool. So I don't know if I'd call it straight horror though. I'd probably call it more like suspense bents or thriller um with some minor horror elements but yeah it was interesting and i think everyone got a kick out of it and it was really fun when they got to cleanse the meteor with the power of their uh their deities and and awesome. send it back up into space and and save the city so yeah it was pretty fun that's cool that sounds like a lot of fun it, it reminds me very much of warhammer actually because there's these warpstone is a very like warhammer-esque thing and it's like chaotic and it's poison is it can transform you can in, transmute you into like a monster so it reminds uh -huh. me a lot of that I, I wonder if maybe they got inspiration from there oh yeah yeah he i don't remember all of the different sources but he said he basically like like he read some some hp lovecraft and like oh, yeah. a bunch of different video games and and stuff and he like combined it all into this this kind of story that he wrote so and then i just ripped off him and, and made it my own so it was nice. it, it's been through a lot of iterations but yeah I'm sure that probably had something to do with it. Yeah. Oh, man, Lovecraft is great. There's a modern author. Now I forget his name, but he, Laird Baron, I think was his. Yeah. Laird, Laird Baron. He wrote a couple oh, I think of I like. I follow him. He, yeah. He's written some really neat compendiums of short stories. And they're kind of like modern Lovecraftian. I think they're set in like Washington or like, you know, mm. the, the forests of the West Coast. And. Anyways. A lot of weird stuff up there. Twin Peaks, you know, <laughs> X-Files was filmed up there and in Vancouver. So weird stuff happens up in those woods. Absolutely. The mountains, you can't, the mountains call you, you know? <laughs> yeah, they do. This episode of How Not to DM is brought to you by Gemmed Firefly. Need a fresh new look for the new year? Head on over to gemmedfirefly.com for the newest tees, mugs, and home goods styled with D&D gamer humor and aesthetics. As always, Gemmed Firefly makes every shirt to order, bringing you all of the softest and most comfortable shirts that thousands have come to love. And now, listeners of the show get a discount when you use the code DRAGON at checkout. Find your new favorite shirt at gemmedfirefly.com. And now, let's return to the show, starting up with a brand new minigame for Season 2. This week on Quickfire Chaos, Matt and I are going to use some random generators online to create and play through a totally improvised encounter. Okay, let's start it off by rolling on the NPC voices table. So yeah, give me give me the hundreds. Alright, we got 30 on the nose. 30 on the nose. Speaks without using contractions, i.e. can't, won't, I'm. So you okay. ever watch Star Trek? Yeah. 
This reminds uh, me of Captain generation. Holt, actually. Captain Holt from... Uh, oh, yeah. From Brooklyn. Captain Holt, yeah. Commander Data, none of them use contractions. In fact, that's that's a tell when he's drunk, right? That's how you know he's drunk exactly. when he uses contractions. <laughs> <laughs> or doesn't he like send out like an SOS where he uses like a double contraction or something crazy? Yeah. <laughs> then they know he's they know something's wrong. Yeah. Oh, what a great show. Okay. Next is your job or occupation. 45. Bounty hunter. That's something. Cool. A lot okay. of different ways you can go with that. Very precise bounty hunter who doesn't use contractions. Who does not use contractions? It's going to be hard to do. <laughs> oh, it's going to be so hard. Good luck, man. <laughs> the last thing is the quest you're sending us on. 87. Okay. The local miners have gone on strike. Demanding higher wages and better equipment, the boss wants you to remind them who's in charge. So you need us to go rough up some miners. Okay. So no contractions. <laughs> okay. Yeah, write some notes, do whatever you got to do to prep, and then we'll just jump into it. I'm going to play... I'm going to play a gnome wizard. So I'll be really small, and I'll have a squeaky voice, and you can do whatever you want. Cool. All right. So so let's say you approach, there's like a, there's a log, like a rotting log on the side of the road as you are wandering about heading towards the village and the the log is like shaking it's just shaking a little bit there's like maybe some <laughs> mushrooms falling off of it and you you know oh you're like, yeah dust yeah uh-huh uh-huh it's like a rotting old log it really smells musky and out from inside the log comes this like very small curled up man with like a cape over his head it's like a black cape and he kind of looks up to you and he's got these like skinny finger, skinny long piano fingers. And he's like, hey, hello. Hello, will you help me? Oh, oh my, uh, uh well, uh, well, what do you need help with? You see, I, uh, I need to go get the treasure that is in the miner's cave. But there are some miners there who just, they are too mean to me. I need help to really get them out of the way. Oh, you, you need my help to go... Uh, are they big? Are they strong? Are they scary? I, I have some spells, but I'm not sure I'm the one for the job. And he kind of looks you up and down. Hmm. Perhaps you should get some brawn with you. Do you have any stronger friends? Uh, oh, well, uh, now that you mention it, I am headed into town to meet with some uh, bigger friends of mine. Uh, perhaps we could all, in concert, help you, but uh, uh, this this treasure, uh, what is it, if you don't mind my asking? It is my ring. And he, like, on his scrawny hands, you see he's got all these, these different rings of different colors. One's maybe got, like, a, a bluish sapphire tint to it and they're all intricate and very different you know one looks elven made one looks dwarven made and you can tell that on his ring finger on on his ring finger like the left hand he's missing his ring that's there he says my wife will be very upset if i don't get it back uh, i see that's uh, quite the collection you've uh, assembled there i 
hope you don't intend to do anything nefarious with them, but, uh, well, uh, yes, I think we could, could help out. Uh, I shall head into town and find my friends, and we can meet you at the mouth of the cave at, uh, oh, a sundown, suppose? Yes, yes, look for another log. That is my favorite place to stay. Okay, uh, one more thing, if I may, uh, would we be able to split this treasure, uh, or is it just the ring that we are going after? Oh, well, you see, the ring must return to me, but everything else you find in the cave, oh, that can be your treasure. I'm sure that there are many things. It is a, it is a cave for mithril, I hear. Oh, the, the magical metal, yes. Well, that does sound quite lucrative, my friend. I think we have an accord. He sticks out his hand. Shakes your hand, and it's like this scrawny little hand. It's, it feels like he'll like just fall apart like the log he was hiding in. Okay, I kind of wipe wipe it off <laughs> on my robes and and give him a little like tip of my wizard's cap and and uh, start scurrying on into town. I shall see you soon, my friend. Uh, what may I call you? Mm, my name is Scrub. What about yourself? I am uh, Lefan the Great. Uh, at your service. Mm, good to meet you. And then he like scurries back into the log. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> this is that's the best part of the, the little thing is just seeing what everybody comes up with. I love <laughs> the creativity. And it, it shows the dungeon master at work, you know? Oh yeah. I like awesome. your little little elf gnome uh, gnome wizard too. He was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> He's uh, based off an NPC. That's the good news. I can just make it up. All right. So, Matt, you are the host of a show called Role Play Chat. Three different words, one show. Tell us, what is Role Play Chat? Where did you get the idea? How did it start? And how's it going? Yeah, I mean, so Role Play Chat is a bi-weekly podcast where me and a guest are joined. I am joined by a guest every two weeks, a different guest every time, including yourself, Derek. There's going to be an episode coming out. You know, I'm sure we can time it where me yeah. and the guests talk about uh, D&D topics. You know, we, we pick uh, a specific theme that usually is the strength of the person who's joining me, something that they, they're known for, that they like doing in their games. And we just go at it. You know, we talk about it. We dive as deep as we can. We leave no stone unturned. And we try to, you know, impart a little bit of wisdom to the people listening. Yeah. And Roleplay Chat has gone through a lot of changes, actually. You know, it, it started off, I want to say, three, three and a half years ago. And it, 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 it was birthed from me and my friend Chris. Whenever we'd finish a game, whenever we'd finish playing a game, we'd spend like three hours after the game just talking about it. Talking about the things that worked, talking about the things that didn't work and how, how perhaps we could imp improve them. Then we told ourselves, you know, maybe there's other people out there who do the same thing or who might want to be, you know, who, who might want to listen to that. So we you started we started a YouTube channel first, actually. It, it was a YouTube Ambitious. channel first. Yeah, and that was hard. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason I haven't gone video yet. Oh, yeah, it was tough. And dissecting it down into very crunchy, very, like, short and sweet and to the point 
that was that's not my strength. <laughs> I, I'm right. Yeah. So we yeah. did that for a bit. It's Sorry, very scripted, ahead. right? It's very like intentional bits, and you've got to redo them over and over again until it's right, and then you got to edit it all. And bleh. yeah, it was hard. And anybody out there listening, learn from my mistake and just don't do it, unless that's what you want. But yeah, like Derek said, there's a lot of editing. It's it's extremely intentional. No matter how natural the videos you see on YouTube appear to be, that's not how they do it you know they spend probably hours and hours and hours coming up with the perfect script and they go at it so that wasn't as much fun and it didn't really replicate those conversations that we had at the end of our game mm-hmm. so then you know then we kind of turned to the audio format and podcast format and that really worked that that really stuck around you know that felt true to our mission of kind of what we were trying to do and then about a year ago, maybe a little less than a year ago, Chris had his first kid and it was maybe a little bit too much work for him. You know, he was like, you know, balancing the the family life, running games, work and a podcast is too much for him. So, so he stepped back. He might come back one day. I don't know. But now it's just me and a different guest every week. And I've found that that enables me to talk about more interesting things not that me and chris didn't have interesting things to say but you know we're just two people with two opinion or two perspectives now i get the opportunity to talk to great folks like yourself different people from different walks of life who have different experiences in this hobby and we get to share those opinions and and experiences with people who listen yeah yeah Uh, so you'd settled on youtube first and then you moved to podcasting what do you feel like about your past experiences or your personality do you think has led to you being good at podcasting or enjoying it? Yeah, that's a, yeah. I, I don't know if I'm good at it. I'm not, maybe I'm too modest, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it's a really enjoyable hobby. Like you said, Derek, because we get to meet so many people and, and I really thrive on, on kind of social, social environments. Despite it, it takes a lot out of me. I'm I'm a very social introvert, and I'm I'm sure a lot of people you know that are in this hobby can resonate with that. But so so yeah, I really like listening to people. I like hearing the stories that they have to say, and I really like dissecting things. You know, it, maybe it's it's part of the math background. Maybe it's part of that like, analysis work that I do in my day job. But I I really like taking something and seeing how deep we can go and how much depth there is and how much there is to be learned from that. So mm. I, I feel like that kind of perspective makes me good at what I do. And and then I like to think that the guests who join me kind of round me out and, and present their perspectives and their opinions and having kind of this back and forth can be interesting. I can almost always find something to say after someone has said something where I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Let's, let's keep going. Let's push this as far as we can. And I'm sure, I'm sure you can resonate with a little bit of that as a, as an interviewer. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. If anything, I have too much to say, so uh, <laughs> you gotta, gotta make sure I don't take over. It's been good practice for me as an oldest child to sit and listen to other people instead of be the one who's telling everybody what to do all the time. I'm just kidding. I wasn't that bossy, but still, you know, I did as, as a child, I was kind of a know-it-all and kind of a, uh, conversation dominator so okay it's, it's been good to to flex the listen muscles 
what do you think makes for an interesting or engaging interview? That's that's a really good question too. And and I think for one, the beauty of this hobby is that everybody is so passionate about it. And mm. because there's that passion, it makes it so easy to talk to people about it. You know, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, Derek, but I, I feel like despite the stigma around role-playing games disappearing slowly but surely, I, I feel like it's still not one of those hobbies that you could like walk into the lunchroom and talk about with your coworker. You, you, you know, you can't start off a conversation like, oh, did you watch the game last night? Because you could say that about football. Right. You can say that about hockey. You can say that about soccer. You can talk about like, I don't know, the Oscars, or you can talk about the movie you saw. The TV show everybody's watching. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The book everybody's reading. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, yeah. But with a role-playing game or role-playing games, I feel like, at, at least I keep it in a little bit. So so the podcast uh-huh. and the community on Twitter and, and all of these folks that we're meeting, that I'm meeting, it's kind of this outlet for me to just like, this is where I get all my geek on. I get it all out. We, we share this together. And I kind of get the impression that some of the people that I talk to, it's the same, it's the same thing. They're just so they're looking forward to having an opportunity to talk about this hobby of theirs. And I'm just, I want to listen. I want to sit back and I want to, I want to hear what they have to say. So I feel like that is a beauty of a privilege that I get to take advantage of in this hobby. Now, obviously mm. there's other things I could say about an engaging interview is one where you know, you ask open-ended questions, you you focus on the strengths of the person that you're talking to, you, you try to find a common ground where you have just enough to say, but you know they're going to have more to say, and you kind of give them the opportunity to have the spotlight. And it's funny because it's very much like a role-playing game. As a game master, you want to shine the spotlight on your players and give them opportunities to shine. I feel like that's what hosting an interview podcast is, too. <laughs> it is. It kind of is didn't think about it like that but i like that it's true um like when i get a new job it's not the first thing i go tell everybody hey i play D. i have a D podcast it just kind of comes up eventually and some people are like oh cool and some people are like whatever you know and, <laughs> exactly. uh, it, it's it's still it's not the zeitgeist just yet you know it's not uh it's not in the zeitgeist just yet it's mm-hmm. it's making its way there still so yeah for sure that's one of the benefits of, of D&D as much as people kind of hate on it or not hate on it. People like to preach that we all, you should try as many RPGs as you can. And there's a benefit to that. Sure. But we can't deny the cultural impact that D&D has. It, it's creating so many new players. It's bringing in so many new folks. It's growing the hobby in such a fantastic way. But Matt, it's not a good game, but Matt, there's so <laughs> many games that do it better. Right? Matt. Oh, blah, it's so blah, broken. Blah, blah. You always have to homebrew everything. Yeah. Ah, oh, come on. Geez. I've heard it all before. Thank uh. you for your original opinion. <laughs> Talking head. Okay. <laughs> you mentioned you try to pinpoint a specific topic per guest that you feel like are their strengths. What are some of the most interesting topics you've covered and with, and who are some of the most interesting people you have covered them uh, with thus far? Yeah, I mean, there's a moment that is in the history of this show that I almost don't know if it actually happened. I mean, obviously happened, but like it's like a dream to me is as I got to talk to Brennan Lee Mulligan. And he is, you know, I said I don't have any inspirations or I don't aspire to be like any other game master, yeah. 
Maybe except for him. He is just, <laughs> yeah. he is such an insightful person that I, I can't, I didn't even know what to say to him. Because I'm like, you know what? Anything he says is going to be better than what I can say. <laughs> he's just so, yeah. he, he's just so insightful. But yeah, that, that was a fantastic episode. Uh, Having actually, listened to that episode, I thought you handled it very well and you had lots of interesting things to say oh, and you. I wouldn't worry about it. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Derek. That makes me feel better. <laughs> but yeah, I think it, it's really funny how unhinged he is as a DM and like you said, and yet how like thoughtful and introspective and well-spoken he is on all of the stuff I've watched him on mm-hmm. or listened to him talk on. Like, it, It's just so funny that he's so put together and then just so nuts when he's running games. And I guess nuts isn't the right word. Maybe it's because he is so focused and put together that he's able to pull all of the stuff out of nowhere that he does for, for his games, you know, but yeah, what a guy, a lot of thought behind everything he does yeah. for, for sure. But so yeah, he, he gave out some pretty good nuggets. Like he talked about, we have it's split into two episodes because he, we just talked, mm-hmm. we just kept on talking and it was great. Like he just kept on going. Yeah, if he's going to keep talking, you're not going to turn off I the recording, right? <laughs> exactly. I wasn't going to stop. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, everything he was saying was, like, genuinely th- very thought-provoking and very insightful. So we have one episode that's kind of more focused on world-building and his approach to world-building. And I, I know that's a very broad subject, but, you know, to kind of get a peek behind the curtain was really interesting. And then the second episode yeah. is a little bit more about improv. You know, he's 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 a comedian. He He has that background. So to learn from somebody who has that theater experience, that ability to take something and run with it as much as I like to think I have it, you know, it's, it's not as refined as somebody who has that kind of background and that experience. Those are two great episodes of the show that, like I said, I feel like it was a dream that it happened. It happened so odd. It was so odd too. I, I got an email from somebody. Was it somebody. in preparation for the release of one of his um, series with Dimension 20? It was, it, it right? Was, it was, yeah. Kind of it was like kind of like a, a, kind of thing. a build up to that. Yeah, yeah. Which one was it? Do you remember? Oh, no, I don't. I think it was... Was it on Sleeping City? Might have been, yeah. Yeah, it might have been on Sleeping City. But... We can look it up later. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was fun. And it was such a funny story where I got an email from somebody that was like, I guess his agent or like not even his agent, like the, the person who worked but like as a, the assistant to his agent. And I was like, what is this? This has got to be spam. Like there's no way, <laughs> there's no way this it's is happening. It's a niche spam thing, you know, like I'm going to spam TTRPG interview podcasters. Like, okay, <laughs> You're whatever. You're about that, but like I get some really weird emails. So Really? Yeah. I have never gotten spam. I think it was because... Well, I mean, I've gotten spam, but not, like, to this account. Yeah, yeah. I I think at one point I had the, like, the roleplay chat email on the Twitter, like, on the profile of the Twitter. So I'm sure a bunch of bots picked that up and just Uh... just caught, like, wildfire. So it was in, like, the heyday of that. I was getting all kinds of stuff, like, join our new app for podcasting that nobody's ever heard of, stuff like this. Oh, yeah. And then, yeah, there's this email, like, hello, have you ever heard of Dimension 20? And I'm like, yes, I have. <laughs> I have. What? Why? <laughs> and so there was like this back and forth. And, you know, I went through like a string of different agents who at the end, and, and like, I didn't really want to ask. I was like, they were like, do you want to collaborate with the Dimension 20 crew? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I don't want to seem too presumptuous, but like, what are you saying? What do you mean? Yeah. What are you telling me? Here? And then yeah. they're like, okay, well, Brendan's available this day. 
And I was like, whoa, okay, I'm available too. <laughs> yeah, whatever it is, I'll, I'll make it happen. Yeah. yeah so that was, that was cool. <laughs> That's awesome. And then a, a few other interesting topics that I feel like are very, maybe bizarre is the wrong way to sell it to people. But, I, you know, I had one of the first guests we out ever had. Out of the box. Ever, yeah, out of the box, sure. Yeah, one of the first ever guests we had on the show were Bailey and Rob from a video game podcast called Hours Played. And it's a podcast about uh, like cooperative gaming with your with your partner, like cooperative mm. video gaming with your partner. And when, you know, when I when when we connected, I was like, let's talk about role playing with your partner and, and not like in the way that that sounded like, but in the like tabletop <laughs> role playing game way. <laughs> Oh no! They're like, what? What podcast did we just come on? <laughs> you you make that joke, but man, I've gotten some weird people send me messages about that too. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, so like, yeah, let's talk about playing role playing games with your partner. You know, rolling dice, playing Dungeons and Dragons with your partner, and and how how different that is because anybody who's done it will tell you it's not the same as like just chilling with your buddies. And not in a bad way, but it's just different. So that that was a, an interesting. Yeah, my wife plays in my game, and it's a lot of fun, actually. But yeah, it is different. Yeah, you're right. Like, and I'm almost too hard on my wife when she plays because I don't want it to appear like I'm being like giving her preferential treatment. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm blatant. I'm blatant with it. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, that that was a fun one. And not to ramble on too much, but one last one, um, the most recent episode. I got to talk to Jeremy Cobb from Three Black Halflings, which is another really cool podcast folks should Mm -hmm. check out. And we talked about making, like, having the game be consequential. So, like, not necessarily presenting consequences. Having stakes and, you know, when a player makes a decision, sometimes there's pros and cons to that decision and and kind of bringing that back and and constantly recycling and, and pushing the story forward and opening opportunities in that way. And Jeremy had a lot of really, really fun, really fun stories. I, I'm not, a, I'm not the best storyteller, uh-huh. but Jeremy had a lot of really good stories to say. So I thought that was a, a good one too. Yeah, that does sound fun. I'm excited for that one to come out. So having a podcast, what are some of the most rewarding parts about it other than, you know, talking to your heroes and then what do you feel like are some of the most difficult parts that people may not see behind the scenes? I'll start with the good thing and then then maybe I'll rant a little bit after. <laughs> but but yeah, I think that the best part is realizing that you can actually make friends on the internet. I don't know if that sounds like a silly thing, but for the longest time I didn't really understand how these communities were formed and how you could connect with people that you know you you might not meet more than once every three years at a con stuff like this and it's so true it's so amazing this this ability that this hobby and can connect people from across the world to get the opportunity to talk it's so rewarding it's so fantastic you know getting to talk to you Derek and and realizing that there's people out there who got the chance to interview you know all kinds of cool people on their show that how not to GM that, that how to GM guy, how to be a great GM, like the how to great, oh, be oh. a great GM guy. Guy Sklanders. Yeah. Yeah. From guy, how to be a like, great GM. Mm-hmm. you know, you're talking about like hero level people in the hobby. To me, he's one of them. This is one of yeah, those me people too. that were so foundational to me as a young 
game master learning like oh what a trap is and stuff like that so absolutely like you know getting these opportunities to meet these people but then also getting to the opportunities to meet other podcasters like you or uh the double dm guys are oh they're so they're so fun i had some really cool conversations with them and Emil and Nils, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just great. It's just this great community of people and making friends on the internet. Didn't think it'd be possible, but here I am, and it totally is. So anybody listening who's not on Twitter or not on Instagram and who's not out there with the tabletop RPG account, let this be, you know, let this be the signal to go do it because you'll meet a lot of great folks on there. Even if you're not a content creator, you know, just get on there and, and hang out and chat with folks and share opinions. Yeah, a lot of fun stuff happening all the time. Difficult parts. Difficult parts. Okay. There's a lot of learning curves here that I didn't expect. So I don't want this to get too ranty. So Derek, stop me if it gets too ranty. <laughs> okay, when you start foaming at the mouth, I'll yeah, mute you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> but I think one of the hardest things for me was this realization that there is so much more to being a podcaster than just podcasting. The marketing, the social media presence, the, the the you know the pinging on your phone, and it's not bad. You know, it's not bad that there are people who want to talk to you, but it's I didn't realize that there was this other layer of it. There's this, I mean, being your own editor too, like that. And that's kind of fun when you want to, when you want to do it. When you don't want to do it, and you have to release an episode because you it's you know the, worst. the deadline's coming up. That's not fun either. But yeah, it's just. That's so this layers, list huh? of other things that you, I wasn't expecting to be so important. Like I figured, yeah, you know what? I'd create a Twitter account or I'd create a, maybe a discord one time, but, ah, but man, it's just like, there's so much more to it that if you want those tools to work for you, you just have to keep pumping into them. And it's kind of like this, I guess a lesson learned from that was I really made sure to cut down on that time. I, I, Gave myself windows of time where it's like, okay, if I spend more than two hours on Twitter today, that's too much time on Twitter. <laughs> or like start scheduling tweets because if I, you know, I still want the algorithm to not forget about me, but you know, I don't need to be on it all the time for that to happen. There's ways to use the system to my advantage. So yeah. Mm. Yeah. A lot of, lot of stuff that you don't realize. Same thing, right? I jumped in. I was like, how hard can this be? You know, it's, it takes a lot of time, but it's definitely fun. So, well, the, the, the fun parts are fun. Anyway, I know exactly how you feel. <laughs> <laughs> so w what, Matt, do you feel like is the, the number one piece of advice you'd give to people out there running games for both new people and for people who've been running games for a while? You know, what's the thing that sticks out most in your mind when you think about advice you give? Okay, my biggest advice, hey, that's... Um... I mean, I kind of like what I said at the beginning, and I'm going to maybe stick with that. I think making mistakes is is an important part of being a game master. As soon as you feel too comfortable running your game, I, I think you should challenge yourself and introduce a new mechanic, a new thing. Have you been traveling one way and you want to make travel different? Try to spice it up. Try to introduce something new. That I think that that's important, and it's okay to fail. It's okay to let other game Like, your players... They can know you failed. You can tell them, hey, I tried this. It didn't really work the way I thought it would. Let's try something else next time. But I think there's a way to fail. There's a way to make mistakes. Uh -huh. And it's not by doing too many. So don't try five new things in a game. 
you know, <laughs> that's too many. Because yeah. <laughs> then your game will Probably. just be kibosh. But yeah, one thing at a time, little baby steps, and eventually you're going to feel comfortable doing a lot of that stuff. And then I think another piece of advice that I'd like to give aspiring game masters or, or, or game masters who've been doing this for a long time is, and it's going to sound a little bit like a broken record, but it is to try to find new systems, not, not necessarily run them. I don't think you need to run new systems, but there's a lot of neat things in systems that are out there that can kind of teach you the way to game master. And you can kind of inspire yourself from that. One system that I like to refer to a lot that's kind of bizarre, I think, and it's not too commonly known, is called Dogs in the Vineyard. And it, you can get it free to play. Like you can go find it if you look up, look it up on any of the places where you normally find role-playing games. And it's a relatively old game, but the way that it presents challenges to its players and the way that the players have to react really focuses on making everything important. Like you don't have an interaction if it doesn't make something push forward. And if you make a character do something, it's always got to have a stake. It's always got to have some kind of potential impact to the game. And I found that to be very important for me in my like journey of learning how to game master. I kind of took that away from that. And so you you know you find these obscure systems or not so obscure systems and you you learn a little bit and you integrate those into your game master style for when you run Dungeons and Dragons or you run Pathfinder or whatever system you want to run, you can get those things as for inspiration. There's a lot of indie t- tabletop RPGs too. You know, if, if money's a problem, I can promise you that if you reach out to an indie tabletop RPG creator and say, hey, money's tight, but could I have access to your game? They're going to give it to you. You know, this isn't to say don't pay creators. I think creators obviously deserve to be paid. They are the lifeblood of this community. But if money is a problem for you and you reach out to a tabletop RPG creator, nine times out of ten, I'm sure they'll, they'll, you know, you guys can figure something out. And tons of them have free startup guides too anyway, right? Like they released the 20-page version with some character sheets and stuff yeah, uh, just as a preview for what the game's like. So you can without spending a dime, get in and, and try a bunch of new games that way too. So yeah, always lots of free games or very cheap games or ways to play for free. All right. So Matt, then where can people find you online? Where can people find your show and any upcoming projects or news you want to tell us about? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, before I get to that, thank you, Derek, for letting me come yeah. on on your show. It's It's been an absolute pleasure it's fun because I, you know, I've listened to some episodes and now I get to potentially hear myself, you know, on your show too. So it, it's cool. I, I, I like that. I like the idea of thinking that I'm a guest on a show that has also had all of these prolific other folks on it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so roleplay chat, you know, you can find me on Twitter. Like I said, I two hours a day, you can find me on Twitter. <laughs> Roll underscore play underscore chat and role is R-O-L-E. Like I, like for role playing games, I also have a email address. So if you want to send me something that's more than 120 characters, you can write to me at contactroleplaychat at gmail dot com. Don't send them spam though. <laughs> yeah, don't pretend you're from Dimension Twenty because I'm not going to fall for it now. You know. <laughs> but yeah, so those are kind of the two main places you can find me. And then the, the podcast, like I said, is released 
every other week on uh, on Wednesdays. But you know, you don't even have to go look at the newest stuff. The the each episode, just like your show, Derek, is is individual. It's it's on its own and it's self contained. Obviously, the newer yep. content, I I consider the newer content to be better, especially once we really were done with YouTube. Because for a while we were like taking YouTube content and then like tacking on other stuff and those were like kind of our episodes and it was kind of weird so i i would start maybe season two or if you prefer this idea of having a lot of guests on the show even season three you know which started only about a month ago feel free to start there we've got some really cool guests and some really cool topics there and as far as projects go this is really far away so i you know i i don't want to over promise but i'm i'm hoping to run a panel for a, a charity panel and I'm working with Nick from Scry Society. Mm-hmm. So Nick does these charity one shots. And I'm, I'm working with him to try and do a charity panel where we're going to have a number of folks on the panel and just to talk about role playing games and talk about very specifically role playing. So I'm trying to get some folks who are, you know, on actual plays and things like this and to kind of give people advice on putting on the skin of a character, putting on a voice having mannerisms, stuff like this, like the the very like minutia of putting on a character. And that's kind of my hope. So that's going to probably What's happen. What's the charity uh, for? We, we haven't decided yet. It's okay. not going to be until this summer. So it's still, you know, it's still quite a ways away. But, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to pick something topical then. And Nick, Nick has a lot of experience doing these things too. So, you know, I'm sure we'll, cool. we'll find something. If people listening have an idea, let me know. I'm happy to hear what folks have to say. But yeah, so look for the What is Roleplay Anyway panel coming up eventually. <laughs> All right. Whenever it happens, I'll be sure to be tweeting it out too so everyone can see it from my feet as well. Excellent. Well, thanks, Matt. A pleasure as always. Like you said, we'll have to coordinate when these come out so they're coming out at a, at a similar time. But yeah, great fun chatting with you and it was fun being on your show too. And excited to see what you've got next for us on roleplay chat awesome well thank thank you derek for having me with you on on how not to dm and you know stay in touch love to have you back on roleplay chat and also looking forward to your future projects thank you for listening to how not to dm now it's time for a sneak peek into next week's guest logan rowe of the mindful gamer I don't think she had any idea of how big a nerd I was when when she married me. And like layer by layer, I'm revealing these things about me. And she's like, "Holy cow, man! Like you are a super uber nerd." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." So you kind of want to like play a game? And she was like, "Let's do it." Logan and I had a great time talking about playing games with family and friends, and we had even more fun with the delicious version of Quickfire Chaos but I'm going to make you wait to see what that's all about. Remember to check out my Patreon if you haven't already for even more sneak peeks. Next time you get the chance, share this episode with your friends and family around your game table. Another great way to help me boost the show is by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by rating the show on Spotify. I appreciate all of you for helping me grow. Thanks to the team at T4C Studios for helping edit and produce this episode. My new intro and outro music is by Daniel Zombo. The Quickfire Chaos music is by Exacat, and the Quickfire Chaos mood music is by Arcane Anthems. Check out the episode notes for more of their great work. And, as always, until next time, 
roll some nat 20s for me. 